0: Hi, everyone. My name is Dan Reyes. I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. I think that's the way we normally start things around here. Thank you, Jeremy, for asking me to speak tonight. Uh, it's always an honor to do this, to carry this message. Uh, you know, Who would have thunk it did someday that this would be uh, like high points of my life is when I get the opportunity to carry this message. It's the most, it's the most valuable gift that I have inside of me is the ability to, pa- to carry and pass on this 12-step way of life. I'm uh I'm blown away by it on a regular basis. So uh you know let me say what it was like, what happened what it's like now. Uh I was born in New Albany, Indiana. I don't know if you can tell from my accent or not. Uh I've been born and bred there. I've lived there all my life. I think I've lived in a total of three houses in my fifty-three years uh, of being over there. And uh, I grew up with a childhood that really you know, I hear a lot of really suck ass parents, and and we become products of that, and uh, and it definitely has an impact on on our this disease of alcoholism, but I don't, I didn't have that. Uh, thank you. Kind of makes me think about something. I was speaking at the women's healing place one night, and uh, this girl is sitting right over here, and she kept on pointing, but she's pointing like low down here, you know, and I she was whispering something. I couldn't tell what she was saying, and I started looking, and I thought my zipper was freaking down. <laughs> uh, but that wasn't what it is. She was telling me there was a bottle of waters under the under the podium. Uh, I grew up with a really good set of parents. Uh, my dad lives with me today. Uh, mom passed away a few years ago, and uh, and he was looking to downsize, and I ended up, uh, you know, as part of my 12th step carrying this, carrying this, uh, practicing these principles, and and being of service to him because he's certainly been of service to me all my life. Uh, first time I ever drank, you know, well it, 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 comes into this that I would do anything to be a part of a group and it really didn't matter what group it was. I just didn't want to be by myself. You know, uh, when we was picking teams for kickball or whatever, one well, of my worst fears that I'd be the last guy standing over there, you know, I, and it didn't, I didn't have to be picked first That's okay. Just I just needed very badly to be a part of. And I, I think that's one thing I found here, too. I wasn't expecting that, but I found a family of people and, uh, and people I can fit in with. And uh, it was a snow day. I think I was in the seventh grade, and a buddy of mine called me up and was quizzing me about my mom and dad. Don't they work? Yep. They work all day? Yep. So you're home alone? Yep. I said, let's get some beer and drink it at your house. And uh, I heard a speaker say one time, it wouldn't have made any difference what they asked me to do. If, they, if they'd asked me to come help kill one of their neighbors, I'd have said yes. You know, it didn't make any difference. When that, what they were saying is, do you want to be part of us? Do you want to be one of us? And so that guy come over, it was this, uh, wrecked his moped coming into my driveway. Uh, it was one of them I thought about today. You know, that, that moped that Tracy had was, well, there's a whole lot of names for these dents in our cars. You know, the whiskey bumps and the other stuff, you know, because you could tell. Uh, we don't take care of our vehicles very good when we're, uh, when we're using and drinking. And, uh, he had that all over his moped, you know, one peg broke off and all that. And we were in the seventh grade and he's already starting that path. And, uh, we got him and got that beer out, you know, safely. We made sure that got inside and, uh, and then we went down and got the moped. We knew our priorities. Uh, the (laughs) the moped could sit down there for a while, but that beer needed to come in now. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I took sips off of my dad's beers, and my uncles, and stuff like that growing up, you know, but I never did. Uh, that was the first time that I ever drank enough to feel it. And uh, as I do so often, even throughout my using career, I, uh, uh, I overshot the mark. And I woke up in bed later at night with my mom asking me what was the matter with me. And I really don't remember anything. I remember sitting down to the dining room table with those guys, cracking a couple of beers. And, uh, and I really don't remember much after that. My friends told me the next day that I puked all over the place, and they had to throw me in the shower and tried to clean me up, and they, uh, and they tucked me into bed. Uh, I was real thankful they did that. And, you know, ultimately I got away with it scot-free. And uh, I remember the echo off of that the next day was waking up with that, well, maybe even that evening, waking up with that hangover, feeling like shit, but then, like right off of that, was when can we do this again? You know, I was I was ready to, I, as soon as we could do it again, I was ready. Uh, you know, life just zoomed by then. You know, uh, maybe in junior high and high school, we was drinking and every couple every couple weeks. Maybe I don't even have any idea about the duration. At that very same time, I started smoking dope with my friends. And, uh, so it was one of the other, it's actually back then, it seemed to be easier to get the dope than it was to get the, the liquor because the dope man didn't charge you. Uh, you could just go get that. If you had the money, you were good to go. And man, I, 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 I added up once in a while, but then, uh, the next 30 years flashed by of being High, drunk, something, uh, most of my waking hours, and you know, to uh, be honest with you, there's a whole big chunk of it was a lot of fun. I had a hell of a time for a long time. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I'm, I got, I had a DUI when I was 16. I didn't have my driver's license, but about six months, and I got a DUI. I had a head-on collision with a big vehicle, and uh, and uh, I rode out the thing and got it diverted and couldn't wait for the clock to tick down so i could drink again then i got another one when i was 19 years old and then i started learning these teasing me a minute ago about how good a driver i am and that good driving came from making sure i wasn't going to get pulled over doing everything in my power so that you wouldn't catch me driving down the road because there's a lot of my life was spent drinking and driving that felt like a that felt like a um It, it was a safe – it felt like a safe place to do it if I stayed mobile. People would get – if you pulled over someplace and sat for a little bit, the cops would be on you. But you kept moving, and uh, so I just became a better driver after that. I got kicked off the high school basketball team. I played basketball for New Albany, and I was uh, – you know, who, who would say it different? You ever heard anybody say, come up here and say, yeah, I was a real shitty player? Uh, I was a pretty good player. Uh, I, was, I was playing grade levels ahead of what I was. And, uh, and I got hooked up with some guys there that uh, uh, wanted to smoke some dope on the way home from a away game of, you know, this second step about restoring you to, to sanity. Uh, I just think today how insane that was to think that we were going to get away with smoking dope on the bus on the way home. Uh, I did, I, uh, got kicked off the team. There's five of us got kicked off the team. Three seniors lost scholarships. Uh sophomore, uh, sophomore or a junior. And then I was the sophomore, I was a young guy. And, uh, and you know, I said, I was pretty decent, but I never could make a team again. And I don't know what that was, if that was uh, they were holding that against me or if, uh, or if I, I know about that same time, I kind of throw it in the towel on life sort of at the same time, just said, fuck it. I'm going to, I'm going to do what I do. And, uh, and you know, I don't, sports was the only thing that kind of held me in check. It kind of kept me to where I was trying to walk a line. That was really the only thing in my life that was keeping me doing that. And once it went out the window, uh, the wheels came off. Uh, after that nineteen thing, man, I I got married, had you know, I can't remember. I think it's two point three kids and uh, a dog and a half, and had a house and uh, a nice house, two cars in the in the garage. I've been held a job for over twenty years, you know, and and I once in a while I would question whether if I had a problem, you know, have a particularly bad night, you know, uh, wake up in the neighbor's Barbie tent or something like that. And kind of question whether maybe I was doing something, nothing normal people didn't do. And, uh, and I'd have them moments of clarity once in a while. And I would look at me and I'd say, no, a guy that has all that you have, Dan doesn't, can't have this problem because these two things won't add up and that's bullshit. <laughs> uh but it took me a while to figure that out. Um, uh, yeah, I played around with a lot of drugs. I think most of us do nowadays, you know, there ain't much I didn't try, but, but nothing ever got its hooks into me. Really. At some point I quit smoking the dope cause it would take me out of the party, you know, and I didn't want, I wanted the kind of dope that would put, keep you in the party, not take you out. And, uh, so I quit doing that. And then one day I, uh, my mom had had a surgery. She kind of, you know, I guess to be honest with it, she was an addict, uh, but a professional lady. And, uh, she would just had surgery after surgery, after condition, after condition over and over again. And I, and you know, we did, I don't really remember that awful much about the, the drugs, but I do remember that the alcohol stopped working. Every time I drank, I started just feeling like crap. And I walked into my mom and dad's house after getting my three to four beers in between work and picking up my kids at their house. And it had quit working. And I'm pacing the house because I'm wanting to get the kids out of there so I can get, maybe the next beer will be the one that makes me feel better. And the next one and the next one and the next one. And I was pacing the house to get out of there. And I was, uh, walked in my mom's bedroom and there was two prescription pill bottles sitting on her nightstand behind beside her, uh, beside her bed. And uh, I went over and picked them up Picked them up and and I don't I, I know what they are now because after you get yourself into that shit that's bad you know every pill you can lay them out and do a pop quiz on which one's which right mm-hmm. uh, but that time I didn't I couldn't do it then um, all I knew is the label said for pain and I knew I had pain that's one thing I knew uh, life life was getting difficult trying to keep up with that uh, mm-hmm. keep that. Proper level of inebriation where you could keep on going. Uh, if I wasn't drunk enough, I was, a, I was a booger to be around. And then when I was too drunk, uh, it made it awful tough to take care of your kids and do the stuff life as you to do. Um, so I shook out two of those pills out of each one of those bottles, and uh, I looked at, and there was two big ones and two little ones. And I and I took the two little ones. And the two little ones now I know were was there was a couple uh, OxyContin forties. And man, I'll tell you, man, 30 minutes later, my, my life righted again. You know, everything that everything come back, man. It was like that magic pill thing. It was similar to that feeling I felt when those guys came over and we drank that day. All of a sudden, I felt like I was back in the game. And uh, I have pictures from that night and took my kids home. They were real little. And, and we partied that night. You know, here, here's dad, higher in hell drinking beer. And being the demonstration of that for my kids, uh, which comes to play later on, too. Uh, so I started, you know, I started visiting my mom a lot.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: there's a thing we say about, you know, I'll steal your drugs and help you live for them. I did that with my mom she would call me up and have me come over and talk to her about her pills are disappearing. And Dan, can you, can, she's asking me for assistance on what might be happening to them. And I would sit there and you know, hell, I'd throw other people under the bus just like we do. You know, uh, well, maybe it's him. Have you, has he been around as, uh, trying to get somebody else, you know, get the heat off of me. Um, she started locking them up in a lockbox. Uh, I knew it only matter of time she'd leave that combination on that lockbox, and, I, and she did. And there now she's really confused. How are these things disappearing out of my locked-up medicine box? And she would say stuff to me. Yeah, I can laugh about it today. Uh, and it brought me, you know, it helped me get to this bottom that I needed that uh, I got to have what I have in my life today. You know, I don't, uh, you hear people say th- thank God I'm an alcoholic. And I do think God that I'm alcoholic today because he's given me a life that I couldn't have imagined. Uh, These tools we have are just just out of this world. Uh, There's no, as Bill says in the book, there's no problem that can't be overcome. Um, It started getting hard to get them from her. So I started going around to everybody. If I was in your house, I went to aunts, uncles, grandparents. It was unbelievable how many people had an unused prescription sitting in their medicine cabinet. Uh, when I visited your house, it wasn't there when I left. Uh, I, and and I, that worked for a while and kept me supplied. Uh, later on, uh, when that started being a problem, uh, you know, I had some goofy, some kind of self-esteem issue going on that I didn't want to buy street drugs anymore, you know? And uh, I, I, I really, you know, this stuff hijacks your operating system like a computer virus. I, can, can't, I can't say that I know what was happening in my way, I, my, way my thinking was going. But I ended up uh, uh, breaking in houses and hoping I could find some. And uh, I look at it today, you know, I, I wouldn't lower myself to buy drugs off the street by breaking in your goddamn house to rob them from you. And, and again... I'm surprised today at the success I had doing that because I found them everywhere. Uh, and I did have a guy across the street who was uh, always getting them. He's a 90 year old guy. I, 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 it's, it's the house I grew up in. I ended up moved by my mom and dad's house back across the street from him. And when I found out that, uh, that he got a steady supply, he started being a regular place that I would uh, go take them. Uh, I would sneak in their house while they were awake they both were in motorized wheelchairs, and uh, they would be right up against the TV like this. And the volume would be cranking, because they couldn't hear either. And I could walk right through their living room, right through their house, go back and get it, and leave, and they'd never know the difference. I would go in there while they're sleeping. Uh, And I hit that guy a lot. And and one night I had some new girlfriend, and I was making, I made another run at recovery, and then I hooked up with this girl on one of them apps and met her and she wanted to meet at a bar and then there I was sitting there at a bar. What are you going to do when you're sitting at a bar? Or a drink. You know, I mean, what else is there to do? I don't know what else to do at the bar besides do that. And so now I'm back on another, uh, little deal where I was trying to moderate it. And of course I had this girlfriend that liked to drink too. So, uh, I was sitting at home one night and that alcohol didn't work anymore by itself. I needed something with it. And, uh, I told her I'd be back in just a minute, like I was going to the bathroom. And I went out the back door, and I snuck around the side of the house, and I, and I went over into those people's darkened house. And uh, by this time, you know, they were starting to hide their drugs. But we, can, we I can find them. Uh, I, I, it's like you could smell them, like bloodhounds, you know. <laughs> They're in that drawer. And uh, he had moved him back, and he had him in a dresser drawer. And I can remember playing today because this is the moment was like what happened. And I tiptoed back in that bedroom, and the old man was laying there sleeping, facing me. His TV's over here, so the room is a glow from the TV. And I reach over and I open up this drawer. I get—I never cleaned him out. I just got what I needed and put it back in there. Put him in my pocket. And when I turned around, there was a guy standing there about with a pepper spray gun six inches from my nose and a baseball bat and uh he lit into me with both those things and it was in a little tight hallway so he couldn't get me very good with that ball bat but he did get me really good with that pepper spray uh i'd never been pepper sprayed before and hopefully uh never again uh i think mucus was running out of every orifice in my head but i bowled past the dude you know i pushed him down and uh and got by him and what it was is uh, the son of these old people was laying in wait trying to figure out kind of like my mom was wondering how where her pills was going well they were trying to figure out where his pills were going and uh he was laying up in there in the dark and waiting to see when the guy would come by again and there i stumbled into that man i went past him uh you know my out the out the doors my house is over here but i ran this way and i took off running i ran the streets that night for a while uh in a, in a, in a, in a, with a feeling I hope I never have again, uh, the anxiety and the the remorse and just what the bomb I just throwed into my family life. Uh, I know over and over again that night I kept on telling myself, "What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I don't know what to do." I end up wandering back home and just to fast forward this a little bit because I want to. Uh, I came back home that night and my mom and dad were at my house and this girl was at my house and my kids were at my house that night. Uh, I got a, well, now a nineteen year old son and a seventeen year old daughter, and they were both asleep with this girl's uh, daughter also at our house when I'm pulling this crap. And I walked back in the house. The dude had come over with a ball bat. Uh, he had raked out he he raked out the side lights on the side of my door, and uh, came into my house, uh, scared the shit out of that, wo- that woman. I say girl, we're adults. Uh, scared the shit out of her. Uh, I had no idea any of that was going on. I was sitting down underneath a pine tree in my backyard and, uh, saw all the lights in my house were on. I don't know why The all is, I had no idea what time it was. I didn't have my cell phone. I didn't have anything turned out to be someplace two or three o'clock in the morning. And, uh, I saw my dad come out the back door and he was carrying what looked to be two really heavy buckets, five gallon buckets. And he starts down the path that's, that takes you out to the garbage. And uh, and I'm sitting underneath a pine tree there, uh, trying to figure out what my next move is going to be. And uh, he, I, I just I remember balling up on the ground there under that tree, trying to be as small as I can be. I'm 45 years old, and I'm and 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 that's what I've that's where I've landed. Dad come by and he set them buckets. I heard the buckets hit the ground, and that's when I realized that it, I could hear they were both full of the glass he'd been cleaning up from that guy coming over breaking mirrors and uh, anything that had glass in it and plus some other things. Uh, and he said, uh, I, I heard him set them buckets down, and he goes, Dan? And I looked up and I said, yeah. And he said, uh, are you okay? Are you hurt? And I was, looked back down, put my head on my knees, and uh, I said, I'm not hurt. And the next thing I know, I felt him sit down beside me and put his hand on my knee. And and he said, uh, let's go in, take a shower, hit the sack, we'll deal with this tomorrow. It's all going to be okay. And uh, as I said, that guy lives with me today, and he has had my back and has been there through my thick and thin no matter what I'm doing, uh, somehow or another supporting me uh, even through my antics. Well, I ended up uh, going, I had a warrant come out for my arrest, and I went had to go down there in front of Ju- Judge Cody in New Albany, and uh, they were charging me with a Class B felony of burglary. And, so I can't say burglary. That's another funny thing. I've said this before. I, you hear somebody new come in, they raise their hand, they say, I'm an al- alcoholic. It's hard to say the first time you're in here. You know, later on it just rolls out. Uh, uh, I, can't, I had trouble with that word burglary burglary. (laughs) Uh, And they told me that the crime I had committed in Indiana, the sentencing guidelines were six to 20 years in the Indiana Department of Corrections. And that's what I said. Damn. Uh, It got my attention, you know. Uh, I'd been to AA. I had actually in 2011, some four years earlier, had gotten a one-year chip. And then I just put everything down because I had it. I, I got this now, man. And I just got back to my life and left my recovery behind. And as Bill says, it just got worse, and not better. And that's what happened. But I, I knew that AA was where my, was the only chance I had, really. I talk about it, I visualize it like being in a, inside a cardboard box, it's painted black, and the only thing, there's just one little pinhole of light down in a corner. That little pinhole was Alcoholics Anonymous offering me a 12 step solution. And uh, I didn't think it would work. I really had very little uh, confidence that it would get me out of trouble. Uh, And it didn't totally, but it sure lessened it a bunch. And um, I walked along for six more months through all those pretrial conferences and all this kind of stuff I can't remember the name of, where they kept on going in a room and talking about what they were going to give me what sentences they were going to give me. And they started out at that six-year thing, and by the time it got towards later on, well, they were offering me three years. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't, I, I could, I, I was, I'm not prison material, I don't think. And uh, <laughs> what really got me, though, you know, that during that six months of that, I still couldn't stop drinking. And, you know, I'm out on bond, out on bail and uh and that's one of the things you're not supposed to drink a drug and you're not supposed to have firearms you're not supposed to da da this big list of stuff and uh although i'm pretending to be sober uh in front of people that mattered when i got alone i drank to oblivion every time i would i had to do something to drown out that uh remorse that shame guilt and remorse that was that was overwhelming me uh That also started driving home that thing, you know, I'd have thought I could have stopped and I couldn't. Uh, You know, I always say that I got the best home group in the world. uh, And I do believe that today. Uh, I got the best sponsor in the world. He's here tonight. Uh, I got the best fellowship home group around me. Um, And I and, and if you haven't found that yet, I would suggest you keep looking. Because I believe everybody's out there for somebody, and one Tuesday night I walked into a meeting that a friend of mine had been trying to—he'd been trying to get me to go. Me and a dude at work both right, hit the wall at the same time, and we could share what was going on with us. Um, my work sent him to Thailand, and he crashed into the Cincinnati airport before he got there, and uh, that was that was his conundrum, and uh, mine was of course this this, this these felony charges, and uh, he keeps on inviting me to go to this meeting. And there's something I've seen here, too, and, and I'm a, I know I'm guilty of it, is if you bring me something that's working for you, I will reject it out of hand. i got this. And I've even say it as a joke about, like, if you come by with a tray of chocolate chip cookies, I'll say, no, nah, I'm good, man, thank you. And this guy's offered me this group that is just, he's talking about it all the time. No, this is different, man. This is different what you're thinking. I've tried AA. Uh, but one night I... Uh, I took him up on that offer and I walked into a meeting and I heard guys talking, it's a men's meeting and I heard guys talking at a level that I hadn't heard in here before. And, uh, you know, you never really know. It's kind of like the white men can't jump thing, you know, about hearing and listening. You know, I don't really know if I, if I, if I just wasn't listening, you know, or what did he say? Do you hear Jimmy? Not just listen. And so that might've been some of it, but I, I, I was, I was hearing things that I hadn't heard before. And uh, and I heard a gentleman share that that caught my attention. And uh, of course, I'm still pretending to be sober when I walk in there. I walk in that meeting and people talk to me. Oh, you new? No, I'm not new. Uh, I'm new back. But see, like they're thinking, you know, I love the line in the big book. It says, sometimes they may tell the truth. Uh, And I'll usually tell the truth. I'm going to tell some version of the truth. See, I wasn't new. I'd been here before. But I was coming back again, and, and I couldn't tell that. I couldn't let that out of the bag. Uh, pride. And uh, I heard a guy sharing, a particular guy that really caught me. And they do a thing at the Spiritual Underground. That's my home group meeting. And uh, Spiritual Underground's a men's group on Tuesday nights at 730 uh, last night. And they say, just like they did here, if anybody's available to sponsor a guy through the steps, please raise your hand. And that makes it a hell of a lot easier for me to come ask you if you'll sponsor me. If just a minute ago you had your hand up, right? Because another one of these things, I rejection is not my strong suit. Uh, you tell me, no, I may not be back <laughs> uh, ever. And uh, they did that. <laughs> but uh, this guy never did raise his hand. And I was watching him. And, I was, and, and, and uh, every week, never, wouldn't, and I'm looking for what might be, You know, for St. Dan here, who might be good enough to be the second string or the third string? That's another thing we do. You know, we uh, get real picky about who's good enough to sponsor me.
1: Uh,
0: And I'm pretending to be sober, and I go to my pretrial conferences one morning, and usually right after I got done with that, I would go straight to the liquor store and get enough liquor. I had to hit that, you know, it was another one, balancing acts. I had to hit just enough because I couldn't have any leftovers because somebody might come by, and I can't, you know, and that night, late at night, you know, I'm wrapping them up in a bag and carrying them down the alley and putting them in somebody else's garbage can, and uh, so that, that's what I was going to do again that day, but it was a Tuesday, and uh, and I was really liking this meeting, and I, I, uh, I sit with that guilt, shame, and remorse all day long, and I went to that meeting that night, and they said, uh, we do another thing. They asked if anybody has a burning desire. You have the floor first, anything that's mm-hmm. Weighing on you that you need to talk about, and and I'd watch some guys come in and demonstrate that. Right, it's part of what we do here too. With us sober guys, we come in here and demonstrate what sobriety is for the new guy coming in the door. Uh, so, you know, we help them learn how to act. That's how I did it. Same thing, uh, just like when them guys in the seventh grade was teaching me how to drink beer, uh, I, I use the same kind of thing. As I come in here and watch people, well, how did they do a sober life, and. Uh, I walked in there at night, and I wasn't planning on doing a Burning Desire, but I was full. Uh, I was vibrating. Uh, I'd sit with that all day long, and we were sitting there again, going to go to prison for three years. Uh, Friends told me, don't worry. In Indiana, that's really only a year and a half. And uh, it just didn't sound any better, really. Uh, And that night, I finally got honest with the group. You know, I've been lying, pretending the whole time. They says, anybody got a burning desire? And I laid my bag of goods on the table there in front of them and told them exactly where I was at. And I know that that's one of the things we talk about is this rigorous honesty and this, you know, if you're going to, we're only as sick as our secrets. If you're going to hide behind stuff, uh, you're probably not going to have access to uh, these tools. Uh, if, if I'm not being honest, and that's what happened that night, is that I got honest and it broke through some uh some crack in the universe. And after that meeting, we was fellowshipping around and I noticed that this guy who I've been wanting to sponsor me was walking right to me. And I remember thinking too, you know what?
1: Uh,
0: I wanted to talk to him, but I was scared. You know, I mean, when I got here, I was 45 going on 12. Uh, I was still the same 12-year-old little boy that was drinking beer at that table that day. Uh, I was pretending to be an adult. I was doing adult things. But inside here... I was a scared little kid. And uh, he come up and he said, hey, man, I really heard what you said tonight. Uh, and if you want, man, I'd be willing to sponsor you. And it was another one of these moments of clarity thing uh, where I knew something shifted. That night when I walked out of the church that night, the sky, the stars shined brighter. Something happened. And I knew I had some kind of chance. Now, I didn't know if it would get me out of prison, but I knew, not, I knew if I continued to drink, that wasn't going to help things. I knew that I needed to stay sober in order to have any kind of chance at this. They never, you know, they could call me down there and, and test me at any given moment, and they, didn't, they never did do that. And I also remember he said, I'd like to sponsor you, but. And he had some ground rules, and he had some things that was going to be required, and he set out the expectations about what we were going to do, and he gave me a little outline about the expectations, you know. And I remember everything he told me, uh, I was nodding to. Uh, it didn't make any difference. I, was going to, I knew what was happening, and I wasn't going to lose that opportunity, and I kept that throughout that. You know, We started meeting up, and you know, we went through the beginning, started reading the big book together and uh, walking through the stuff that proves our powerlessness and the unmanageability and, and this whole concept of, of getting something, uh, the insanity and getting it removed by a power greater than me. And I know today that, you know, my, that first power grader, me was that man. Uh, He was demonstrating to me how to do sober. I didn't know how to do it. And uh, I can go into the steps a little bit, but it was like a flash, you know, and and really soon uh, my sponsor said, have you ever talked to them about home incarceration? And I said, yeah, Chris, I've talked to them about home incarceration. They're not going to let me do home incarceration in this house because I was breaking into that house. In the neighborhood had been down talking to the prosecutor wanting me to go to prison, wanting me to get put away and pay for my crimes. And uh, he said, what if you didn't do it there? And I'm like, or well, what, what, I do it. He said, I don't know, men's recovery home someplace, you know, someplace else. Maybe they'd do that. And uh, he said, mm-hmm. you know, could you go stay with your mom and dad? Where would that work? And I said, I'm sure they'd let me. And uh, so I went with my uh, bit in my teeth and went back to my lawyer and asked him about that and he let me uh he called me back it was a long stretch it was like two weeks before I heard from him and he called me and told me that they were going for that and some other miracles happened I wasn't supposed to I ended up spending my home incarceration in my house because of a mistake they made down at the court if you want to call it I can tell a whole story out of that but uh I worked these 12 steps and I started practicing these principles like my life depended on it because frankly it did you know it was I didn't know if it would keep me out of prison. I didn't think it would. Uh, guys were telling me that, it, that it does. There were men standing around that, uh, had their consequences of their, you know, the wreckage of their past, shed off of them while, as a result of doing this work. And now after being, uh, I usually start out my sobriety date, it's uh, January 1st, 2015. Uh, It wasn't New Year's Day on purpose. It was a complete accident. Uh, So just in January, I've I've managed to put together eight years of this way of life. Um, And now where I'm standing, I I was told one of them conditions that that man told me was that when you're done with this and you've received this gift, I'm going to expect you to give it away. And, uh, you know, at that point in time, I'm like, yeah, I can skate on that one. I can say, yeah, today, but hell if I'm ever going to do that. And, uh, but then after I got done, the, what, this gift that was handed to me, I couldn't help but want to give it away. You know, I, I want everybody to have it. I believe this 12 step way of life is a way that will work for anybody out, addict, alcoholic or not. You know, what is it? Some, I heard a guy say the other day, 200. I don't know if that's right, but at least a hundred different fellowships using our, using Bill Wilson's tools or, uh, or higher powers tools. Cause I don't really believe that Bill could probably come up with that stuff. He was a loser stockbroker and uh, <laughs>
1: uh,
0: I don't know how he could come up with this on his own uh, using these tools. And so that's what happened. You know, I started sponsoring guys cause I had a hunger to give this away uh, and there's nothing that brings more joy to my heart than to do that. That's what if, if somehow I could make a living. If I could, If my lights would stay on, the heat, gas in the car, all that kind of crap we have to go to work for, if that stuff would could happen for me, I would do 12-step work 24-7. Uh, there's just nothing that fulfills my soul. You know, it's given my life purpose today. Uh, that's another thing. That, uh, that old life was basically just a lot like the ball in a pinball machine, man. I was just bouncing off of whatever catalyst I happened to run into, and uh, and it would shoot me off in some direction that I would try to recuperate from, and today I have my uh, uh, a direction in my life, a way I like to tell it is that the, uh, whatever it was, second or third grade, whenever they handed out the pamphlet on how to do life, I must have been absent that day, because that's the way I did life, I did it by watching you and hoping to God that you were doing something that would be worth following, because that's the path I'm taking. And uh, today I have these twelve steps and this way of life and the philosophy. You know, Buddhism is not. Some people confuse Buddhism with a, and I'm not a Buddhist, uh, not all the way. And um, some people say that's a religion. They, I got taught that that was. But it's really a philosophy. It's a way of doing life. And to me, that's what this twelve step program is too. It is a way of of operating and a way of doing this thing called life and. We're going to spend a certain amount of time on this big big blue marble. It'd be nice to have some operating parameters. You know, you go to work, they lay out operating parameters for you, what you're supposed to do. Uh, Most things, if you've been in the military, I have not, then they lay out parameters for how you're supposed to do life, but I I never did really have anything, even with a great parents who modeled stuff for me. uh, My dad has a unique way of picking the next right thing to do just out of hand. You know, I had to work at it and make a couple phone calls before I can do the next right thing. And uh, and for some reason, I didn't pick that up from him. Don't know why. Um, I think at some level, we we're born with this alcoholism thing. So in my sobriety, I got let off of that home incarceration. I got sentenced to a year of home incarceration. The only thing I was allowed to do was take my kids to points. A and B when they need to be someplace, uh, I could go to do as much recovery meetings as I wanted. And I, they let me go to work and, uh, man, that was a flash in the pan. Uh, it felt like a long time at the time I got so used to wearing that ankle bracelet, I had a breathalyzer machine in my house that would talk to the ankle bracelet and it would call me to go blow in that thing multiple times a day. Uh, I remember one Sunday it called me seven times in one day you get up there and it had a big flash camera on as this box and it had a straw sticking out of it and you know when you're blowing in things you got to ain't y'all ever blow one thing nobody yeah. uh you know you got to puff them cheeks up and get get some volume going through them right and i kept on thinking about them pictures you know every time they'd be And, and I learned to close my eyes, because if I didn't close my eyes, man, that flash would just blind you. You'd have to sit there for a little while before uh, you could move on to whatever's next. But uh, I had that thing for so long that, like, after it was gone, I'd hear birds whistling outside and think that was it. Uh, like, I had to charge up there and blow in that thing again. I always wonder what happened to all them pictures. Uh, when, I, when, when I started doing better and, like, was getting some traction and feeling like I... You know that's what alcoholics do, right? We get a couple of months sober and we begin to think we got. You know, I'm good now. Uh, I might be the best AA guy there's ever been born.
1: <laughs>
0: so I got a bunch of hats and I started putting on a different hat every time it took my picture. I had old pile on. My I pull on a big sombrero. Or Dad had a couple of old cowboy hats that was laying around and. Uh, well, was, I had even a hat to look like that Gomer Powell hat, you know, that's got the little, uh, look like a little crown kind of thing. And, and I always wonder what happened to those pictures. You know, I thought they might say something to me and maybe they would find it humorous or something, but they never did say a damn thing about it. Uh, it launched me, you know, it was, uh, the 12 steps was a launch pad into being able to see what else, I, what else life has to offer. Uh, I worked for his place for 28 years, and they tapped me on the shoulder and told me I was no longer needed. Uh, I'd start there as draftsman, and now my title was engineer. Uh, so if you think about that math, I worked for him for 24 years as a drug addict alcoholic. I was sober for four years, and they turned me loose. Uh, I knew my heart really wasn't in it anymore. Uh, and so today I'm self-employed. I got a wood shop in my backyard. I do custom woodwork and I run around when I'm not doing woodwork. I do handyman stuff, uh, put up light fixtures and there's just no end. I almost feel like I shouldn't tell y'all cause I know some of y'all know how to do that stuff. And, uh, there's just no end of it to be had. Uh, I can make a full-time job out of replacing ceiling pans down there. Um, I'm a registered yoga teacher. If you'd have told me I got into yoga, before getting sober, I'd punch you in the nose.
1: Uh,
0: no way would I do that. And uh, a girl, that girl that was in my house that night, tricked me into going to a thing here in Louisville, and I think it's still going on now. It was a combination 12 step recovery program and, and yoga. It's 45 minutes of each. And I fell in love with it. Uh, I almost I, Today, I look back and I used it as a drug for a while. You know how we substitute, we'll find something else to obsess over. And, uh, and, but you know, at least it was a healthy thing to obsess over. Uh, and it ended up saying, hell, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna learn. I'm gonna go learn to be a teacher of this stuff. Um, uh, so many, you know, I almost had to get my list out when this stuff started happening for me, like that address magically changing from over at mom and dad's house back to my house. And the fact that, you know, it went from, uh, three years in prison to home incarceration. And these little switches happened because mm-hmm. what I see, I see it in you too. When you come in here, when I see that your heart has changed and you actually are setting your sails down this path, that's when things start going better. It, for a lot of people, their life starts getting better immediately. And when that started happening for me, my sponsor said, I probably should take notes on it and keep track of it. Cause later on I'd forget. And in my phone today, I have what's called a miracle list, and I've got a whole list of stuff in there that, uh, that, that has happened to me. you know. And, and you can get pretty uh, woo-woo on what the definition of a miracle is, but I'll tell you for sure this stuff is something that wouldn't have happened if I was still drinking and doping. Uh, and, and just in that itself is a miracle for us. Um, I was unable to stop on my own, and now that obsession is gone. And, uh, and I get to take advantage of these hours we have. Um, I do. I forgot one thing, man. Raise your hand, Ross. Ross, today, celebrate four years.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ain't that cool? Pour love on them, one another uh, for doing this next right thing for a certain amount of time, whether if it's a month or if it's a year or my sponsor sitting over here to celebrate 39 in May 39 years you know we have some really good recovery here in the Louisville area many of us i think take take it for granted uh how many how many what some 500 meetings a week around here or something like that i can't remember what the number is but i think that's relatively accurate um and we just got some really, really strong people been practicing this stuff for a long time and, and can help us. But that's, like in this past year, uh, if you're only two years sober, don't take this bad, okay? This past year, I realized how little I knew when I was two years sober and three years. And that's kind of a cool thing because I've watched and I have a man demonstrating to me that even at 38 and a half or whatever it is, coming up on 39, he still utilizes these tools to manage his life, and and continues to grow spiritually at the same time. Because if I thought there was a finish line, man, I'd I'd have a real tough time with that. Uh, I I wouldn't want to reach it. Uh, I probably I'm a sandbagger. You know, I like to do that in basketball too. You know, hang out the wrong end of the court. I'm open. <laughs> um, you know, and you, you find that you're in the right place at the right time so much. And uh, and I said something to her that I was going to talk about this because it's, it's what's happening today. Uh, on my birthday on January 1 this year, my 17-year-old daughter called me and said she needed to talk to me. And uh, I said, well, what's up? And she said, I need to come over. And she came over with tears in her eyes and breaking down, and she then – them damn uh opiates had hooked her 17 years old and uh when she said that you know what she did she handed me a problem that i know what to do about whether if that if she would follow those things or not but what happened is that i had built up a resume with my children now because when i got sober they were scared to stay with me they were right about that i was unpredictable uh inconsistent uh they never knew what they were going to get out of dad whenever back then and after eight years of doing this deal they have seen a man who has changed the way he does stuff and he's the same guy no matter what day of the week it is no matter what time of the day it is you know uh, that old stuff being hung over in the morning and being grumpy and then you know kind of getting straightened out for a little bit and then you're back into the drinking you know they had that little window but that really wasn't even a good window and i demonstrated that you know and the miracle of it is that she's, you know, I've looked at against, I've called against Book of World Records people because I think I might have a, a, a real thing here. You uh, think it's the first time ever that a 17-year-old girl has listened to her dad. Ever.
1: Because
0: <laughs> she's sitting here with me tonight. And when I got home from work tonight, I said, hey, I'm going to speak tonight. Do you want to go? And uh, I know that our recovery can't, uh, I, you know, I can't be in her recovery. That's got to be hers but it can intersect in places and we can go to meetings together and we can do this thing as a family. Cause it is a family problem. I'm certain that everybody out there has some family member that's either struggled with it or has recovered from it. Uh, and man, to come home and uh you know, like last night is my home group meeting and it's a meeting that means a lot to her too. Uh, and, uh, she's been doing better than 90 and 90 and, uh, uh, get home and we sit down and we juice, oh, juice up about recovery, and sit there and share what she heard tonight and what I heard tonight and and what so and so's doing and and, uh, and I said a minute ago about that sponsoring guys nothing fulfills me more but I think I found something that's coming in a close second,
1: if maybe not first. Um, And there's always new people in here,
0: you know, and that's why we stand up here on this podium and talk about it, to give you hope that this can happen for you too. Uh, well, when, when you're new, uh, I talk about some myths that we tell ourselves, you know, we say we're never going to have any more fun. We're never going to have any friends. Uh, it might be working for you, but it can't work for me. Uh, and the fact of the matter is we've got a bunch of people in here who are proven different. And we do have a way out of it, of that mess. And, and, you know, like I tell my daughter, you know, uh, I would love to see her get these tools at 17 years old, you know, to be able to take advantage of that many more years of doing this. Uh, you know, we can't, we don't regret the past nor wish to shut door on it kind of stuff, but you will hear quite often. I wish I'd have found this sooner. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, and anybody that's doing it for real and re- and reaping the results of it, uh, know that to be the truth. So uh, I'm here to tell you that it can happen for you too. If you're not already, I can look out here and see when people is, are nodding at me and they know, and uh, a few people out there are kind of like, I don't saying, but it can. All you got to do is do it. That's the only requirement is to actually do it. Do the work, execute it, and then uh, and do all of them, not all a cart. You can't do some and leave some behind. I'm not going to do those damned demands, or I'm not. Uh, whichever ones you're picking that says you're not going to do. I know when we look up there, I heard one other guy say that that looks like this is meant to punish you. It looks like this is a thing that's going to punish me into sobriety, and, and it's not that. Uh, it, it, it's it's a flat miracle that we have these tools and we meet up in these rooms every night someplace and uh and talk about them and and try to convince the new guy through the door that he can have this too uh thank you all tonight uh thanks for allowing me to participate in my recovery in this manner tonight dan alcoholic